0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to Episode 4 of Countdown to GDPR, a podcast series where, with Jonathan Armstrong, a partner at Quarterly Compliance in London, we're exploring what you need to do to prepare for GDPR on its go-live date of May 25, 2018. In this episode, we take a look at Data Protection Impact Assessments, who they apply to, what they are, how to do one, and how you can use them going forward. It's a very important exploration of a topic that if you have consumer data, you are or personal data on employees, you're obviously going to need to perform. It's essentially a risk assessment, so there's really nothing to be afraid of. As always, Jonathan Armstrong provides clear, cogent, and coherent actions for you to take with an explanation of what DPIAs are going forward. Also, we link to additional information that's been released by the UK government and has been made available by quarterly Compliance. This is Tom Fox. Countdown to GDPR is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm back for another episode of Countdown to GDPR with my good friend and colleague, Jonathan Armstrong, partner at Quarterly Compliance in London. Uh, this is a podcast where we are taking you on a countdown to uh, GDPR, which goes live May 25, 2018. I believe 65 days away, Jonathan, if uh, I recall the uh, firm counter uh, countdown uh, clock correctly. So welcome. Thank you. Jonathan, on this episode, I wanted to take up the issue of the Data Protection Impact Assessment, or the DPIA, under GDPR. So I was wondering if you could explain to us uh, what a DPIA is and when they must be performed.
1: Yeah, I think that DPIAs are almost advanced-level GDPR for many, but that's only because they're scared of them. And I think many people are putting them into uh, the bottom of the in-tray when really they should now be at the top. DPIAs are a significant way of reducing risk in a business. And obviously, if you can reduce your risk, you reduce your potential for fines, suspension of transfers, civil actions, and all of the good stuff that we've discussed previously. So, debt protection impact assessments aren't new. They've been called privacy impact assessments before, PIAs. The UK, for example, has had guidance on PIAs for some 10 years now, and they've been particularly prevalent in the public sector. But DPIA, at its very heart, is just a risk assessment whenever you're doing a new thing. Uh, What you do is you work out what that new thing is, You work out what the benefits might be to the corporation and to individuals, and then you look at the risks that that new thing might bring. Thirdly, you would uh, see if you can mitigate those risks down. If you can, you put measures in place to mitigate the risk, and you're good to go. If you can't, then you have to take your DPIA, along to a regulator and seek prior approval. We're not yet sure what the process will be to seek prior approval. That's something that you'll do in-country. Regulators in each of the member states, and remember in Germany, there's a number of different regulators on a regional basis, uh, can charge a fee for that, and, uh, and they will announce their own processes. But generally speaking, you will want to make sure that you can put in place measures that are significant enough to mitigate the risk. So to give you an example, let's say, for example, I'm proposing to track an employees' laptops. I might say that I'm going to do that as a benefit for the to the corporation because I'm securing data. That in itself helps me to comply with GDPR. I might say that there's a benefit to individuals because they might have some of their data on those laptops. It'll enable home working. It might be better for work life balance. I might identify risks that employees, uh, that, that the device might identify uh, employees when they're doing stuff outside of working hours. Uh, I might identify a, a risk that employees will be worried that they're being tracked because they carry the device with them. And I can mitigate those risks down by looking at technologies like geofencing rather than geolocation. Bit of a technical difference, but it does make a difference. And saying that I'm going to report on devices on a pseudonymized basis, i.e. not identify the device to a given employee. So in simple terms, I can go through that process and then say, am I happy that I've reduced those risks? Probably I am. A significant risks remain. Maybe they don't. And if, if not, I don't have to go and see the regulator and get approval. If I think, yeah, these risks are just too great, then uh, then I do have to go and see, see a regulator. But I'll have to build time into my rollout for that that regulatory approval might take around about three months would be my best guess at the moment. And then the final part of your question, uh, Tom, when should you start? Well, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start, I'd say. And um, and also, if this is something that you're doing where you're relying on a vendor, it's good to start at the very beginning because then you can build what you require of your vendor into the invitation to tender or the project specification or whatever that might be and say to vendors, we're looking for you to share our pain. So if I'm procuring a cloud-based service, for example, I might say to the vendor, I'm going to have to do a DPIA and you're going to have to help me with that. Our vendors have to help uh, if if requested under, under um, GDPR in doing a DPIA but let 's just set that out in the pre contract negotiations, so that nobody's um, under any illusion uh, 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 that, that this work doesn 't have to be done so i do um, I, I you know I objected uh, to the proposal of dpias initially I did that because I thought it was going to be burdensome, and the commission 's proposal originally was that it would decide a template, and I was fearful of a template designed by a public official uh, being usable by the private sector. But I think having seen DPIAs in action and having a couple of years of experience of some of our clients using the process, it is a great way of reducing risk and also get a great way of killing off some ideas that should never see the light of day.
0: So, Jonathan, when you said you wanted to start at the very beginning, I was fearful that you were going to uh, break into a Julie Andrews-like song from The Sound of Music. I was
1: tempted. I was tempted, but I, I thought it just might be too much. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I don't have my guitar.
0: And you don't have your guitar. But the um, starting at the beginning, um, uh, the, the really leads into the question I wanted to pose next, which is, uh, what if you don't? Uh, uh, You can't start at the beginning because you have existing processing operations, and those are ongoing uh, for reasons only known to your good self or the company's good self. They have never done this type of data privacy or data protection assessment. Uh, How do existing uh, processing operations tie into starting at the beginning for a DPIA?
1: Yeah, great question. So, my experience is that the majority of existing processes haven't had a DPIA. There's a number of ways you can address that. So, the first thing to say is that it isn't mandatory to do a DPIA on existing processes. If the process changes, then you should do a DPIA. So, for example, to use my earlier example, if you're tracking laptops with vendor A, and that's an existing process, you're doing that already and you're going to switch to vendor B, then you should do a DPIA on the change, which I think should include the whole process, not just the change of vendor. So, if an existing process changes, do a DPIA. If nothing happens to that existing process, the original guidance from regulators all the caveats we've said on these podcasts before, Tom. Guidance is guidance, law is law. Um, so these things will be determined by the court. But the initial guidance was that you should do a DPIA within three years of GDPR go live, i.e. by May 2021 of existing processes. Now, the pan-European guidance has taken that three-year presumption away. But some regulators have brought it back in. Ireland, for example, I um, was in communication with the Irish regulator recently who said that they're still going to use the three-year rule as an assumption. So um, I think if you can, um, obviously the priority is new processes because that's where DPIAs will be mandatory in many cases. If it's an existing process, then try and pick some of those up uh, as part of your GDPR planning. It might not matter too much if you go on after uh, 25 May. But I think most organizations know the processes that they are doing that have the highest risk. And I certainly would pick up those. That might be, I don't know, surveillance cameras in the workplace. It might be some sort of invasive tracking technology. Um, Then I I would be picking those up earlier than three years and, uh, and those existing processes that are less consequential, obviously, you know, use that grace period and um, and just bring them into the new regime uh, when you can.
0: So I've been visiting with Jonathan Armstrong, a partner in Cordery in London, on data protection impact as- assessments under GDPR. Um We're going to link to the fabulous resource, Quartery's GDPR Navigator, in our show notes. And I hope you will join us again for our next episode of Countdown to GDPR. Jonathan, thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Countdown to GDPR. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and also help get the word out about this most important podcast for the compliance professional as we Countdown to GDPR, which goes live on May 25, 2018. Countdown to GDPR is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network.